0: Hello and welcome to the Student Space, a podcast for students about high school, life after school and how to actually be an adult. This episode was an absolute blast to record with Sarah, who is also known as Teach with Miss T. We chat about her starting uni but realising she actually hated her course. We talk about switching unis and her finding her passion in early childhood and primary education. After working for almost a year as a primary teacher, she takes us through a day in her life and all the misconceptions and things that uni doesn't teach you for the profession. Enjoy! Before we jump into the chat, I want to respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which I'm recording this podcast. And pay my respects to the elders past and present of the Rwandri people of the Kulon Nations. Hello everyone and welcome to the student space. In this episode, I'm joined by Sarah, or formerly known as Teach with Miss T. Today we're going to talk all about her Bachelor of Early Childhood and Primary Education in ACU. So welcome Sarah. Hello, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Likewise. So what we'll do, we will just start out with some random questions like I ask all my guests. So What do you usually do when you're stressed or need to unwind? So something that I always do when I feel really stressed is I've been really into reading at the moment. So I've been reading some good books. So that's what I normally do. Take it outside and just have some relaxing time. I normally do some deep breaths, in and out. Might practice some yoga. And yeah, that's basically what I do. What books? Um, I'm actually reading The Nowhere Child Now by Christopher White. Mm. It's so good if you're into like real life fiction, it's so good. Oh, cool. And when you were younger, what did you want to be when you grew up? Was it always a teacher? Well, yes, I did always wanna be a teacher. I always played teachers with my little cousins and my family friends, but yeah, it was something that I always wanted to do. Mum always used to buy me whiteboards and I would just draw and draw and draw on it. So it was so much fun. That's so cute. And now in times of no COVID, where would you wanna to travel tomorrow if you could go anywhere? definitely Italy would love to go back to Italy and see my homeland cool and what part of Italy anywhere or just like all over all over I would love to go down to the south to where I'm from and also would love to go to Sicily because I've seen that it's beautiful amazing so what about high school tell us about your experience what subjects did you do and then how did you pick them all righty so in high school I did normal English mainstream maths PE health and human development Italian and I also did business in year 11. So most of the subjects that I picked, I actually chose them for my course. So I always knew that I wanted to do something in either business or teaching or something like that. So that's why I chose business in year 11, which I actually did really well in. So I highly recommend anyone who's thinking about doing a three, four in year 11 to do that. And I also chose PE and HHD because I was really into sport growing up. So I knew that that's something that I was really good at. So I thought, why not use my knowledge to do something that I'm good at? And then I also chose Italian because I have always learned Italian from prep while I was in primary school. So yeah, I wanted to continue that. And also I wanted the extra like seven points. Absolutely. <laughs> why <laughs> For <not>? my eight <laughs> are why not? Yeah. And then in year twelve, what did you want to do after high school? So what were your aspirations or uni preferences? So after year 12, to be honest with you, I actually wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I knew that when I was younger, I always wanted to be a teacher, but when it did come to year 12, all my friends were doing business, commerce, health sciences, and things like that. So I thought, oh, I'll just follow everyone else. And I thought that I wanted to work in an office. So what I did choose after school has got nothing to do with what I'm doing what did you, now. What, what did you choose? So my preference was actually um, food, nutrition, and commerce at Deakin. So it was a double degree in nutrition and commerce. So wow. something completely, completely different. And that was literally because all my friends were doing business degrees and I thought I wanted to work in an office. See, that is crazy. It's just How, completely... Look at that, like... I it's say, completely friend, different. It's not like peer pressure but it's more like no. the people that you're around you thought oh yeah. well, then I want to do it too yeah it was just yeah it was not peer pressure or anything it was just because everyone else was doing something like like that and I thought oh yeah business commerce yeah I'm gonna do that when really not for me but when I in terms of choosing a university I did go to all the open days I did go and see my careers counselor and they sort of helped me but yeah I don't even think teaching was in my preferences that's crazy did you ever think oh I might do teaching later in life or you just no thought, no I didn't think that at all Wow no I didn't think it at all so I had a very very um, dramatic change but that's not for a bad thing that's- no it's not it's probably the best thing that's ever happened to me to be honest absolutely yeah and then tell us about the transition from high school to being a uni student and you could tell us about the first year in a course that you realize oh, oh I don't think I like this. Right, so I started off my course at Deakin and I loved the Deakin campus, don't get me wrong. It was so good, such a great location. I made heaps of friends and I remember going into my first class of, I think it was biology, learning about the breakdown of different foods or something like that. I can't really And you hadn't done off. bio at No, school. I hadn't done bio, I hadn't done chemistry, hadn't done any sciences at all, so that probably put me at a... Um, Disadvantage, 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 like, like yeah, a stress that's yeah. the I'm looking at, disadvantage. So yeah, I sat into that class. I had no friends in this class. And as soon as I sat down, I was like, okay, I don't want to do this. I just knew straight away that it wasn't for me, but I wanted to push through it. And maybe I thought, okay, it's the first year of uni. It's a massive transition from going into um, high school where I get to see my friends every day and, you know, do things that I love to going to uni a couple hours a week and do something that I'm not familiar with. Anyway, so that was my first class and I remember on the same day I went into a business analytics class and it was the same sort of thing. I was so overwhelmed because it wasn't something that I was really used to and not something that I knew knew that I wasn't going to enjoy it. But luckily for me, I did make friends in that class so they were able to help me heaps. Wow. I'm getting (laughs) flashbacks to my days as well. I don't know. I felt exactly the same when you just – There by yourself, and you have no idea what the content is, what you're doing. Do you even like this? I know, but I think making friends, like you just have to be so confident with just sitting next to someone at uni and just saying, hey, I actually don't know how to log this is how i made my first rent. hey i actually don't know how to log into the computer can you show me where to find my username and she was like yes it's just on your card here. oh i love it <laughs> see it's so funny yeah and um do you have any tips for uni students that may start their degree but feel that this may not be for them how did you come to realize oh i i want to change yeah so basically I just knew straight away. I just got this feeling, no, this isn't for me. I'm not a person that sits, well, wanted to sit in an office all day and do work on a computer. That's just not my personality. So basically, as soon as I realized that, I probably did about four weeks of my course. And then I had lots of conversations with family, friends, my best girlfriends, my family, um, other teachers, because then I started to think about, oh, gosh, maybe I actually do want to be a teacher. So I spoke to different people about, you know, I wasn't really happy with my course. I don't see myself doing this in the future. And they sort of said to me, well, you know, if you're not happy with being in this course, there's no point doing it because if you don't enjoy it, then there's no point really. So what ended up happening was I spoke to my mum about it and my mum was typical, no, you have to stay in uni, oh. blah, 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 like <laughs> you're typical. Not go- you're not going to drop out. <laughs> you're not going to drop out because she was fearful that I was going to drop out and never go back to uni. But basically what I did was I sort of dropped all my units and kept one unit, business analytics. Don't know why I picked that one because I did not like Just it. Just for fun. You thought Just i was ju- choose the hardest one. Yes, and during that time I actually started working at a before and after school care. So then that was sort of something that I was able to think back, I think to like, oh, maybe teaching is something for me. Cause then I started getting into the habit of seeing kids every day and talking to kids and teaching kids. And that's how I sort of realized that I wanted to be a teacher and then reflecting back on my own life. Cause I did lots of reflecting in my first year, obviously of course. The six months. I thought, hmm, yes, I always did want to be a teacher. So maybe that's something that I should consider. Mm, absolutely. And so when you searched and discovered that you wanted to do teaching, how did you come to do primary as opposed to high school? But what you actually chose was early childhood and primary. So how did you choose that? And then how did you choose which uni to do it at? Yeah. And then when did you get there? So I'll answer the first question, the first question about uni first. Yep. So with uni, I actually wanted to stay at Deakin, but Deakin had this thing where, there was lots of pre- pre- prerequisites. So because I only did one subject for the first six months of my course, they weren't actually going to let me transfer into primary school um, education because they had this thing where you had to study four units before you could transfer and your score had to be or your GPA had to be at a certain point, but right. I can't remember exactly what it was now. Yep. But because I hadn't done any units, my GPA wasn't as high. Right. So I went and spoke to you all the um, – course coordinators and all the counsellors at deacon, and they said, unfortunately, you can't do it. So that was really upsetting because I loved deacon. But I just did research. I went to some more open days, mid-year, and ACU was basically the only uni that were offering mid-year entry, primary education and early childhood education. So there was two courses that I could have done. And the reason why I went for early childhood and primary was because I was actually thinking about my future and I thought, you know, if I'm, or when I'm about to retire, if I don't want to be a full-time primary school teacher anymore, early childhood could be something that I could do just one day a week or two days a week just to keep myself a bit busy. So that was the reason why I chose early childhood and primary. And I also didn't choose secondary school because I just don't see myself doing secondary Totally, <laughs> secondary fair education. The content seems scary. Yeah, <laughs> well, totally fair enough. And it's actually quite wise and mature you thinking ahead, like, yeah. which is, which is nice and refreshing. Yeah. It, yeah. I thought so too. <laughs> <laughs> and now took me through the process of switching to another uni. Was any part of it challenging or did you just apply and then say, okay, I'm going to start semester two? Yeah. So it was challenging in the way that I really wanted to go to Deakin. So it would have been much easier for me to just say, yep. Yeah, Let's get rid of food, nutrition and commerce and let's switch straight into primary school. I already knew the buildings. I had some friends there. I knew how to get to Deakin. I drove there um, and yeah, that would have been much easier to do, but unfortunately it didn't work out for me. So yeah, I went into ACU and all I had to do was just apply straight online. I rung up a few times and rung up, ask ACU, asked for advice, um, asked what the contact hours were like, the placement opportunities, all that sort of stuff. And I really liked it. And you have got a pretty good reputation for teachers anyway. So I was quite happy going there. So yeah, I just had to apply. And I was very, very lucky that I got in. Mid-year. To yeah, mid I was very lucky because another one of my girlfriends um, tried to apply. And unfortunately, she didn't get in. So I don't know why. But yeah, I was very lucky. I think they only took a certain amount. Oh, so cool. So know. when you got in mid year, did you have to say start from the start? Because I'm guessing none of your subjects could credit across. No, none of my subjects could get credited across. So yeah, I started fresh slate. But you know what? That's fine. Yeah, it was it, oh, it was so good. It was so good. <laughs> Lovely. And now, okay, so a big part of all teaching degrees requires pre-service teachers to complete a land type. Uh, So this is a test that pre-service teachers must take while they're in uni and before that they graduate to show whether they meet like literacy and numeracy levels to work as a teacher in Australia. And so all primary, secondary, um, to-be teachers have to do it. Now, what was your experience with the tight? Did you do it in the first year? Um, And then how did you prepare for it? So I did my tight. Well, ACU don't really set you a time to do the tight. I know some other uni say, yep, do it in your second year, get it over and done with but I did mine in 2019. So it was semester one of my last year. So it was the second half of yeah, 2019 because my course was all over the place. It was actually kind of challenging. The literacy one was much more challenging than the maths ones because it asks you things that you haven't really been tested on for a very long time. So the way I prepared for it was there's lots of um, practice tests on the landtight website. So I just practice all of those. And I did lots of the year nine numeracy and literacy nap plant tests because they are quite similar in the way that they're set out and what's expected that you're going to read or see in the tests. Cool. Yeah, Yeah, totally. And you know what? A lot of people do stress about the land type because it can be a couple of years since we've last sat an exam or like a test of this form. And it's And what we have to we have to pass this to become a teacher. Yeah, you have to I think you get three opportunities and if you fail three times, some people do, some of my friends have. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Then they have to go to a panel and then they have to sort of interview to get another chance. Oh goodness. Yeah, but it's some people, yeah, it's just the pressure and the stress of not actually being in that exam environment because at ACU we didn't do any exams. You neither. No, in my oh, teaching neither, degree yeah. either. Well, in most teaching degrees, there's no yeah. exams. It's more like the practical aspect of it. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, it was. it's still stressful to go in there. And I remember when I did my Lantard, I did both on the same day. So I would have – it was literacy first in the morning. Then I had to wait all day in the city to do my maths one in the afternoon. But it's better to get it out of the way than – um waiting, I guess. I was gonna say you have to do it before your last six week placement. So yeah. Interesting. And I thought I also would mention, no matter what unit you go to, they're quite good with like land tight support services. So I know like at Melbourne where I went, they held like say a seminar. Well we were in COVID. So it was like a zoom on um, tips and tricks for the landtight. Yeah, we did that too actually now that I think about it. We did do that. And there's also a peer support at ACU, which you could go in and they could give you some tips and advice from past teachers that, uh, oh, sorry, past pre-service teachers or past students that, you know, sat the tests. Absolutely. And or another thing on my mind, if you do need support for Lantite, honestly, if you just Google land type help or land type there's tutoring. so many online there's so, there's many, so like, many things companies people yeah like, of course you have to pay or like booklets but yeah. if, if you're really stressed you can pay the money and you can get the the help exactly and honestly even through like instagram or facebook there's so many teaching communities out there that there are so many pre-service teachers and even teachers that are willing to help their fellow teachers. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I know we'll talk more on this later, but it is such a big community. Oh, it's massive. It's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. So now let's chat about the whole degree at ACU. So you're at ACU, you're studying early childhood and primary. How closely did anything that you learn at uni relate to anything you studied at school? And I know this question can seem a bit off, yeah. but anything at all? Um I think the maths and English probably Cool. like crossed over from school to uni but not really if that makes sense yeah. so obviously when we're at acu you have to learn about how to teach maths and how to teach english and i guess having that pre-knowledge sort of or prior knowledge sort of helped in that way but not really in terms of what i actually learned at uni totally fair school. enough <laughs> now just a side question do you get like a focus area in primary or do you just become generalists and you do like your maths, your English, your writing. Yeah. What is it called? Integrated studies. I don't know what it's it is. It's actually called inquiry, inquiry now. Inquiry, yeah. sorry. <laughs> um, um, no, so you just become a generalist primary school teacher yep. unless you want to be a specialist. So if you want to teach creative arts, music, sport um, or drama, yep. you have to actually specialise in that area. But oh, cool. So for me, I can teach maths, English, inquiry, spelling, all the all of them. rest. Yeah. Can you do sport if you wanted to? If I wanted to, yes, but it's better to have a PE study a PE specialization. <laughs> Specialized in um sport, yeah. Okay. What if you there's another question. What if you specialize in sport and you thought, Oh, now I want to be a general like generalist teacher? Well, because you've already the degree is the generalist and then you specialise oh, yeah. in PE, so you're able to do both. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Cause oh. some teachers actually start off as a generalist teacher and then you know, as the school grows, the leadership team might say, Oh yep. Yeah, Mr Tocasio, you're actually going to teach sport this year. So it just depends. Ah, there you go. Yeah. Okay, so what was the structure of your course like in the first year? How much were you on campus? How did the subjects work? So I think my contact hours for the first year was about standard, about 10 hours. Yep. And I would normally um, try and smash those out in two days <laughs> so then I could continue with working. But, yeah, in the first year it was pretty basic. Unfortunately for ACU they don't make us do placement for the first year. And that was really overwhelming because then come your second year, you've got three placements in your second year. And And
1: you're thrown in. Yeah,
0: you're just thrown in the deep end. So that was something that I was kind of overwhelmed with and I was really spewing that we didn't have placement because I wanted to get as much experience as I could. But, um, yeah, that was in the first year. Cool. Look, to be honest, you did mention you worked at before and after school care. Do you think that was, like, beneficial for you to get informal placement experience? Massively. Massively beneficial and... I don't know if we're talking about it later, but something that they do look for in an interview is any sort of out of school, if this makes sense, out of school. Like out um, of uni experiences. Out of uni experiences that you can, like it's incredibly beneficial for a job. Okay, cool. Yeah, so working that before and after school care was, yeah, massive help. Did you ever implement, something you had learned at uni in up, yeah and after i did school care. i did even though before and after school care it's more of like a fun vibe yep, you know, you're the playing kids play here and there it's always good to like test and trial things that you learn at uni with any sort of kids that you have ever been in contact with so i would normally you know learn something in my art class at uni and then bring it into the after school care and like oh yeah that worked that didn't work and it was kind of a bit of a reflective practice as well while I was there so it was good teaching is all about reflective practice that would love you saying all you think about is reflection reflection how did you do this how did you not do this it's yeah absolutely all right now we're in the second year of uni let's think about all your placement experience what was the placement requirements how many days what were the blocks like So I did two placements in my um, second year of uni. One was early childhood. Second one was primary. So basically how the course works at ACU is half of the year is early childhood. No, sorry. One year is early childhood and then the next year is um, primary and then it switches around. But because I have, or I was six months sort of behind, I did half my year of early childhood, half of primary, but that's just how it worked um, for my course map. So my first ever placement was at a long daycare service, a three to five room. I had to go every Monday for four weeks and then I had a three-week block. Wow. And it was good. It was good. It was very intense because those kids are very demanding. They just need all that attention. But I loved it. I loved it because the children at that age, they're able to communicate with you. I learned a lot from uni already because I had that one year with basically no experience from in an early childhood center. And that's that placement there I actually learned the most at. Wow. In terms of early childhood. So it was great. So my hours were eight till five. So very long days. And we would set up different um, like stations around the room that I was able to implement from uni into my experience that the kids would be able to play with. So it's you- good. Did you find it easy to put the theory into practice? Did it relate what you learn at uni into the placement quite easily? Um, To some extent, but the placements are all different. They always use different sort of pedagogies and different theories. So it's good at ACU that we were kind of exposed to all different theories and pedagogies. So then when we went into the um, long daycare service, they would say, oh, yeah, we're using the constructivist theory. Oh, yeah, I learned that at uni. I know exactly what we're talking about. So it was good. Oh, cool. And then what about the second block at um, a primary school? Oh, my goodness, completely different. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so tell me. So I loved my first placement. I was in a prep class in Diamond Creek and I had only 13 kids in my class. Yeah, it was tiny, tiny. And during that time I was there, it was the same. I had to go every Monday for three weeks, though. That was just so we could get to know the kids and get to know the teachers and the, you know, sort of the policies around that school. And then I did a four-week block. So my first week was observation. So I was observing the teacher on how she teaches. Second week, I would teach um, small groups. So when we do rotations in reading or maths, small groups. Third week, I was teaching days. So I taught like Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And then my last week, it was full control. So I was basically from... 8.30 8.30 in the morning until 3.30 at, in the afternoon, I was teaching the whole lessons. Wow. It's actually quite yeah. good how they do build you up and they don't throw yeah. you in there and say, okay, first week, there you go, take yeah, the class. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it gives me anxiety thinking about it. Someone <laughs> did that to me. <laughs> do you feel you were ready? Like, um, or do you think you kind of just, all right, I'm just going to fake it till I make it? Um, No, I thought that I was ready because I did have experience with primary school students, but not in the same way. But because I had so much time to observe how the teachers liked to construct their lesson, I thought that I was ready. And don't get me wrong, like there was some lessons where I would just be absolutely tongue twisted and just free. Like I, one lesson I remember I literally just froze in front of the class and my um, supervising teacher jumped in and later on she was like, that was fantastic. I would rather you do that here and then you can learn from your experience than go out in the real world and have no one there to help you. So, um, yeah, I yeah that placement was amazing. I loved it. I got to go swimming lessons with the kids. I got to go on excursions. So it's not just the in-classroom great. experience that yeah. you get. You get the full range. So yeah, you get like the like, sporting days, the excursions. Exactly. The- and I sort of like became a part of that community. And it was really sad. It's really sad when you leave a placement because you're there for five weeks and the kids love you and the teachers all love you. So, yeah. They get to know you. Okay, so you did mention about support and about like your supervising teacher supporting you during that time. Did you have any other ways of support? Were there other students from New Uni at that primary school? Yeah, there was actually three of us there from ACU, all different years though. So that was really good to have some people that, I didn't actually know who they were until we got there, but it was so good because we were able to sit together and go through our folders and go through our lesson plans and say, oh yep, you did that, that's amazing, I might use that, but I've got younger kids, how can I adapt this into um, my own lessons? So that was really good to have other placement students there, and the teaching community. Like, I could have gone to any of those prep teachers and asked for help. So, don't be scared to go and ask for help because everyone will be willing to help you. You're a first year; um, on your, it's your first time on placement in a primary school. They're not going to expect that you know absolutely everything about everything. So, absolutely, yeah, oh, that's so true. And did you get over so the course of your? Um... Degree? Did you get different placement experiences? So like a private school, a public school, co-ed, um, single sex perhaps. Did you get a range of opportunities? Um, so I only did four placements. Okay. So not as much as other universities would probably offer, but I did two early childhood ones. So in a three to five room and a baby's room, they were both um, government run yep. and both co-ed, I guess. Yep. And then... My pl- primary school placements were both at a government school as well, and both co-ed. So I actually haven't been to a private school or a Catholic school for placement. Okay. So, but that's just that's just how it happened. My last placement was also during COVID, and yeah, that's just how it happened. I guess it's luck of the yeah, draw as well. Exactly, it's completely luck of the draw. But during uni, I did go to a Catholic school to implement some lessons that. So we had a science unit. Yep. And. There was a group of four of us and we had to actually create a lesson sequence to go and teach a, at a Catholic school. So we were able to do that. So I guess I got that experience in a Catholic school and I was completely different to a public school. So I'm glad that I got that opportunity, but no, I didn't go to a placement, um, like a full term pe- placement at a Catholic school. Okay. But that doesn't matter anyway. No, it doesn't matter. Cool. It's Uh, just different. And I guess you learn as you go. Definitely. And so did the university help find these placements? I know you did mention it's luck with a draw, so you don't really get to pick. Do you get an opportunity to pick? No, we didn't get an opportunity to pick. But my last placement, I did actually pick that one because it was during COVID and it was a very difficult time, but I'll talk about that one later. Yep. But no, so we just have to, on ACU, just tell them, do we drive or do we take public transport? And where we live and normally they'll give us sort of like a radius of where we can go. Okay, cool. So no, we didn't get to pick our placements. Fair enough. And it's quite common at a lot of unis as well. I know at yeah. my uni, we're not allowed to pick. No, it would be good well. though. I know. It'd be good to like use a connection you had. But exactly. I guess it needs to be fair for everyone. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Nice. Okay. So what about other uni experiences? Were there any subjects or opportunities to travel interstate, overseas, or perhaps rural regional placements? Yes. So there were opportunities to go to third world countries like Nepal, which I really, 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 I really wanted to do it so badly. But unfortunately, because I um, went to Europe, I had to change one of my placements. And then when I changed that placement, I couldn't go to Nepal because I had to do my real placement. And it was just, it didn't work out for me, unfortunately, but I had the full application and everything ready to go. But It just did not work, which I was spewing about. But some of my friends went and they loved it. It was such a great experience for them. That's incredible. I know. So I'm absolutely spewing. I highly, highly recommend if you do get the opportunity to go and see a different country and how they teach and, you know, implement something that you have learned, it would be amazing. Awesome. I'm sure there'll be definitely another time, I guess in non-COVID times when we could travel or perhaps interstate yeah. that we could do that. Yeah. yeah, they do have opportunity to go as well. I know there's an ACU in Rome. You can go to Rome <laughs> to study My mouth has well. dropped. I know. <laughs> I would love that. I know. You can go to Rome. There's one in Rome. Wow. So that you're talking just like a bit of an exchange perhaps. Yeah, you can go and exchange oh, there if you would cool. like. But it's with certain degrees. I don't know if um, the education one sort of correlated. Right. I think it was more like arts degree. Yeah. And I guess education might be difficult because we have certain requirements we have to meet exactly. to get registered and then placement. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, you're probably better off doing a like a placement abroad yeah. type of yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. And so, are there any other ways for students to gain placement or classroom experience outside of uni? And I know you already talked about working at before and after school care, but what else could someone do? To say build their resume, but also their experience. Cool. So yeah, as I said before, I did before and after school care. I actually started there as casual. Then I worked up to permanent and then assistant coordinator. And I worked there for about four years. So that was where I gained most of my out of university experience. But I also did lots of volunteering and lots of um, education support work as well, which, again, highly recommend. How do you if you're... get education support work? So to give you an education support, basically what I normally tell, because some people have reached out and have asked me this before. I just say go into a school and just ask them if they need any support at all. There is a degree or a course, sorry, that you can do so that you have a certificate in your education support. But if you're studying primary school education or early childhood or secondary, schools will be ha- will happily take you on to do any sort of volunteer work, support work within the schools or anything that they need because any extra sets of hands are much needed. Are these more volunteer positions or can you get paid to do it um most of them are volunteer positions but you can get paid for it as well so if you gain a good rapport with that school and you've shown that yet yeah, you actually want to be or want to do something for this school and help those kids that need that help then they will pay you oh cool yeah so it's good to always have that degree or course little thing up your sleeve but when i did education support i just rang up and asked if they needed any help and then they just employed me as education support so lucky (laughs) yeah so I was tailored to a class that needed extra hands so there I went perfect just to get extra experience so I would definitely 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 recommend volunteer work even if that means you're doing laminating for some teachers or you're correcting some running records anything is better than nothing absolutely and what about outside of uni life so how did you balance working part-time casually and a social life with all the study so I also worked in retail as well. So I would work in retail on the weekend. So it's sort of, I don't know, it's hard to say like how my social life was because I would work on the weekend and then I'll go to uni and work all during the week as well. So I feel like during that time, I sort of neglected seeing my friends during the week and I would see them on a Saturday, but then I would be exhausted from my work week. So I think something that I probably needed to work on was my work life balance, I guess. But in saying that, I still was social and I still was able to, you know, hang out with my friends. But I think as well, I was very efficient with the way that I did my uni work. So I would get my work, smash it out. I was never one of those people that left to the last minute. Were you like that? I always leave it to the last minute. So I need to take a leaf from your book. Do that. I just, yeah, I would just absolutely smash it out so then I would try and save some time to see my friends but yeah I think during that first year especially it was a massive adjustment as it is for anyone so yeah it took a while for me to kick start that but once I got into uni a little bit more I sort of knew what I wanted to do and you know I'd cut reduce my work hours a little bit so then I could still balance that social life um yeah it was all right. Yeah. <laughs> but it's always a first year, though. It's just that transition's a little bit difficult. Absolutely. And I guess most of your friends would be at uni as exactly. well. So they would understand. Exactly. Yeah. I think it was, it's a bit of an eye opener when you go from high school to uni where you don't get to see your friends every day. Yeah. Exactly. I know. You have to organize. Oh, we're not going to see each other in For English three weeks. <laughs> oh, we're not going to see each other in English. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But I guess, yeah, as you said before, all of our friends were doing the same thing and it was just a matter of getting into that routine. Yeah. Oh, I've got a question about working and placement. Do you think, and I'm already giving you the answer, how important is it to have a work that understands, sorry, I have to take three to four to five weeks off because I have to go to placement. How hard is so, that? Oh, it is so important that you have a workplace that will understand that you need to take those four weeks off. Yeah. There is nothing more stressful than when your workplace doesn't understand that because then you're at risk of losing your own job, but then you're doing something for your future job and it's just stressful. But yes, it is very, very important because that placement, you will learn so much on your placement more than you'll ever know. So that's very important. And now nearing the end of your degree, what are the next steps um, or what careers are available to you when you graduate? Right, so with my degree, I could be a education support. I can be a, um early childhood educator, primary school teacher. And with the primary school teaching, though it always leads into something a little bit higher. So you can start off with a generalist primary teacher. Then you can become a team leader. Then you can, can become a learning specialist in an area. Then eventually, if you want to, you can go into that leadership. So AP or principal. Yep. So yeah, there's always opportunities to grow. Anything in like policy? Yeah, you can. Well, the department. You can, but I think you more have to have a bit of business up your sleeve. Great. So it's always, yeah, you can always start off by doing that. I did actually have a conversation with an early childhood educator not long ago who started off with early childhood, worked her way up, and now she's working in the department. So, yeah, there's always definitely opportunities to do that too. It's good. It's quite broad as well. Yeah, it is. Nice. It is. And so there's this other requirement that all teachers have to do as well. Um, graduate teacher performance assessment. Some people might call it the GTPA. My Unicosa AFGT, yes. assessment for graduate teachers. There's all these different names. Can you tell us a little bit what it is and like how you go about completing it? So basically it's an assessment to assess pre-service teachers on how well they can basically teach. Cool. So it is a huge huge assignment that is based around your last placement. So when I'm talking huge, I'm talking mine was like 55 pages. Jesus. Of work. Like I can't even tell you probably like 60,000 words, so many appendices, pictures, things like that. So basically it assesses you in 5 different practices. So practice one is planning and using data. So you choose a subject that you're going to focus your GTPA on, say it could be numeracy, writing, English, anything that you would like to focus on. You choose three students. Normally they say a below average, average, and a high student. And then you give them assessments and you assess them on something that you were going to teach them. And then you use that data to implement a whole sequence of lessons to then assess them again to see their student growth. Right, gotcha. Yes. So practice one is planning and using data. It's practice two is teaching and learning. So that's where you develop your lesson plans based on the student's needs. Uh, practice three is assessment. So assessing student growth, what they learned, what they didn't learn, what you can do next time. Practice four is reflecting. We always have a bit of reflecting in teaching. So Absolutely. what went well, what didn't went go well. What could you do next time? What, you know, could you change or, you know, whatever like that? And then um, practice five is appraising. So anything that you sort of taught the students throughout the lesson that they sort of veered into a different direction or something that you needed to teach them. In order for them to do something else, if that makes sense. Gotcha. So, for example, if you're teaching them addition, they might need a lesson on place value. So then they understand the value of numbers and they could teach, oh, so they could learn about addition. So it is just one huge, huge assessment that probably is going to take you three weeks to do. And so do your teachers at uni grade that or does that go off somewhere? No, uni t- grad- grades you oh, for ah, it. Oh, cool. And so you have to pass this to get a teaching degree? Yes. Yeah, so you have to get minimum four out of five. Okay. So, um, yeah. Four out of five to pass. And my number one advice for anyone doing the GTPA is, is start when you start placement. Don't finish your placement and then start it because it is a nightmare trying to back up all your information and organize all your data and everything. But start when you start your placement, even if that means, you know, just writing a few notes about the students that you have selected. Oh, yep. He's doing this today. Oh, yep. She's doing that because at the end of your placement, all you want to do is sleep. (laughs) The last thing you want to do is try and fill out this big assignment but again there is lots of different resources online that can support you with the help of GTPAs if you talk to you know graduate teachers at the school that you're doing placement at most of the time they are willing to share theirs or give you little pieces of advice on how they sort of approached it but my approach was as soon as I started I started my GTPA as well because not only do you like you know write down lesson plans you have to write why you did those lesson plans how you're going to implement them, um, what didn't work in that lesson plan. There's also a lot of reflecting as well. But it's really good that they give you the opportunity to do the GTPA because once you are a graduate teacher, You then need to go from graduate teacher to provisional teacher and you also need to do a VIT. Oh, there you go. Yes. So So, do you have to fill out anything for the VIT or you just submit paperwork? So the VIT is, again, it's like another GTPA. So you choose students and a subject and then sort of prove that you have taught them. It's another massive document that you have to do. Oh, wow. So it's not only just your assignments and getting your degree. There's a few other requirements. Yeah, there's lots of other requirements. Which in a way, it's not the worst because I guess we need to do it just to prove that we can actually do the profession. Exactly, exactly. And you know what? It's actually a good thing that there are so many opportunities to do these things because that's how you learn and that's how you grow as a teacher. I love going to observe some of my colleagues at Um, my school because i i learn so much from them so it's really good absolutely and now so once you are in the profession what are some ways that you could further your career like would you ever consider more study um i'm not sure if i would consider more study but i definitely as i get sort of more experience i would love to become like a team leader or a specialist um a learning specialist in a specific curriculum area but again that just comes with experience. So the more that you do teach or the more years that you do teach there are more opportunities for you to go to all these PD days and you know pick an area that you're really interested in where the leadership team will say, "Yep, Miss T, you're in charge of doing writing. I'll go up to those go off to those writing PDs and source all the resources and then I'll bring them back to my school and then share them with everyone." But again, that just comes with time. Yeah. That's the more experience you the more experience you have as a teacher, then the more opportunity there there will be for you to grow. Yeah, totally. I guess that's within yeah. your job as well. Yeah. It is. Now you've almost been a teacher. Oh sorry, not almost, you've been a teacher for almost a year. So take us through a day in your life. Like when do you wake up? What do you do before work? How do you set up the day? Et cetera. Take day me through. in my life as Miss T. I love it. Tell me. So, um, I'll take you through a day where I wake up at six o'clock. Yep. I normally like to go for a walk in the morning or I'll go do an exercise sort of class or something, yoga. Yeah, normally it's a walk in the morning. Yep. And then I leave for work at about, oh, have breakfast of course, get ready for the day, take yep. my outfit of the day photo. <laughs> Love it, post it on Instagram. <laughs> post it on Instagram, tag all the people that wear my outfits from. Yep. Anyway, so I leave for work at about 7.15, 7.20 and it takes about 30 minutes for me to get to school on a good day. So when I do get to school, it's really interesting though, because I think people have this misconception where teaching is really easy. But- (laughs) We'll talk about that later, definitely. But I get to school at say 7.45 and it is go time. I will blink and then all of a sudden it's 8.30. So I'm normally really organized so I'll have everything already ready for that day. But there's always something to do, whether that be printing something, just quickly checking your planners and your slideshows, getting resources ready for the kids that day, getting their books ready, making sure everything's labeled and ready to go. And, you know, I write my little message on the whiteboard for the kids to fill out for their little think positive reflection. Love it. Um, yeah. And then so that happens for about until 8.30 and then 8.30 hits, all the teachers are in the school and then we'll just have a little chat and then it's time to, you know, organize your classroom, get, uh, or your in my case, my learning space get all my books and everything out of the way and make room for the kids to come in. So they'll come in at 8.45 until about nine. So they, you know, change their readers and sit down on the floor. And then we start our day at nine o'clock. Wow, you've done so much already and it's, it's only nine o'clock. a lot. Like that 45 minutes from when you get to school to when the kids come, it goes so quickly because there's always little things to do, whether that be p- printing something and yeah, it's, it's go time. That's crazy. Okay, it's so take us through the day like you do, I would say, like a bit of maths, numeracy, yeah. some literacy. So I'll take you just through a normal day. Yep. So my day normally starts off with from 9 till about 9.15. My school are really, um, really big on well-being. So we always start off the day with a bit of a positive primer. So good morning to the class. They all say good morning to their friends. We go around in a circle. It's actually really cute. Then we talk about any announcements that they would like to share with us. We do a little game all together. And then we, so that takes about 15 minutes. And then we get straight into writing. So that goes until 10 o'clock. And then at 10 o'clock, they have a little fruit break. Then we go into inquiry. So inquiry is um, history, science, um, and humanities. And then they have recess at 11 until 11.30. They come back in. We do another sort of little positive. Oh, what happened at recess that you thought was really nice? You saw someone being kind. Tell me about something that happened at recess. So just a little check in. Then they go to reading for an hour. Then we do maths for an hour. And then we have lunch for an hour. And then our last session is either spelling or they have specialists, they have PE or well being. That's and they awesome. go home at 3 30. So when they're at specialists, is yeah. that your time to, I'm not going to say rest, but planning for the next? Activity. I wish it was rest time, but <laughs> yes, it, it's planning for the next week. So we always try and plan a week ahead. Yep. Yeah. Gotcha. And so how do you end the day? Do you prepare everything for the next day? Yeah. So at 3 30, the kids will go home, and then that's when I. You know relax take a breathe take a deep breath have a look at my learning space fix all the caddies because oh those caddies last about five minutes nice and clean is that like the, <laughs> the pencils in- oh, yeah right, where their yes. pencils and texts are yep and then i'll plan for the next day so i'll change my daily schedule i'll change the calendar i'll um, if we need any resources for say that writing session say they need i don't know their alphabet or something i'll go put it on their tables and then, um, yeah, it's good to go. But I'm normally never out of there before 4.30. Yeah. Yeah. Totally um, fair this, enough. Yeah. Do you come home and you're wrecked? Basically, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I'll be like, yeah, I'll go for a walk after work and then I just lie down it's like, no. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Not today. Nice. Now, I want to talk about some misconceptions about teaching yeah. or the profession in general. Yeah. Um, you mentioned one before. Um, a lot of people say, oh, teaching, it's the easiest job ever. You get so many holidays Fact or fiction? Let me tell you. Tell me. That's fiction, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Let me tell you. Those holidays are needed. The children at the end of the term, you can just tell they're completely burnt out. And the holidays are needed to just reset, you know, relax and take some time. And no, teaching is not easy. It's fun. It's very fun. But it's also very demanding. Imagine teaching six-year-olds for eight hours. (laughs) Of course. Yeah, it's very, it's. It's, um, there's a lot of planning and organizing and things that go behind the scenes that I don't think lots of people know about. And that's why they think that it's so easy because yeah, it's all pretty to see all these beautifully laminated resources and games and, you know, all these things that we make, but sometimes those resources and games will take hours to make hours. So absolute misconception side question how do you get so organized with all those resources and games sometimes i do get a bit confused but i have a plastic pocket for all of them yeah and then i have big boxes like seriously i've been teaching for almost a year and i have so many resources already so i just keep them in pockets and then i put them in (laughs) literacy or reading tubs maths tubs yep. inquiry and then all in one lovely because otherwise whew, sometimes i'll print the same thing three times because i forgot that i've got it <laughs> <laughs> and um another misconception is oh you get to leave three thirty. it's an early day early finish when the school bell rings oh no 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 <laughs> <laughs> i know got you that mentioned <laughs> this before um yes yeah, so 3.30 is when the children get to leave, but we also need to remember that sometimes parents will come and talk to you and sometimes those parents will talk to you for half an hour. Classic, classic parents, but that's fine. I always love a good chat with the parent. Um, and also we have meetings. So we have meetings on two days a week and they start at 3.45 and they weren't finished until about 5. And then on those other days, normally we'll have a PD, so it's a professional learning. So either we do, well, we do that on Zoom now which would normally be on a wednesday otherwise if we don't have that it's our time that we can use it however we want yep so either you can leave at 3 45 if you want to but normally there's so much to do that you just don't because you'd rather get your work done at work than go home and have to worry about it later yeah so i know i normally leave at about 4 30 every night on yep. the days that i don't have a meeting yep yeah. And it makes sense. You don't want to get into school and be flustered that things aren't ready. Exactly. Or the kids come and you're like, oh, I forgot to print this. Exactly. Exactly. And sometimes we're getting to work the next morning and there's four people at the print house. So you have to wait anyway. So it's better to be organized than not. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. And the next misconception would be planning activities not only take so much time, but it's a lot of money spent for all these resources. And I've seen on Instagram all these teachers doing massive Kmart hauls and oh, everything. Yeah. that's me. <laughs> Is that you? <laughs> um, yeah, the resources are really expensive, but that's if you want to keep them for yourself. So some teachers will teach for a year and they'll go off to another school or they'll take on, I don't know, they want to be a CRT or they want to do high school, they want to do early childhood or something like that. But most of my stuff that I've bought, I've bought them with my own money, but that's because I want to keep them for my my teaching career. Yep. If it's like a communal resource that everyone will benefit from, of course the school's going to pay for it because it's something that we can all use. But yes, um, now I ask for resources from other teachers because everything that I want to do, I'm sure that they've already done. And we're really lucky because our school works on Google Drive and there is... An enormous amount of resources on there like i would just type in for example blending for reading and there's so much that comes up so that's how you can save your money as well gotcha and again such a nice community everyone's everyone sharing it is. they're collaborating it is and of course when you're a graduate teacher you just walk into kmart and you see everything and you're just like oh, i want to buy this i want to buy that i want to buy this and some things i've bought i haven't even used oh. but that's just because it's just the excitement of starting a new job. Totally. Yeah. And you just feel like you just want everything. Definitely. <laughs> and lastly, is there anything else that they don't tell you or teach you at uni that now that you are in the profession, you thought, damn, I wish I knew that. Yes. How much stuff you have. Really? As I said before, I've got buckets of resources and I've only been working for a year.
1: There wow. is just
0: so much stuff. And another thing that I would I would have loved for them to tell me is how to be more organized. Really? Like it's all- You seem organized, like the way yeah. you've structured everything, like you've got your box for literacy, yeah. for writing. It, I mean, it comes with time because I guess as well, though, it's not really what uni taught you. It's more the school that you go to. Every school is different. So as long as you've got your sort of way of how to organize your day and your planning and you know how you do things, you're going to be fine. But yeah, at, at uni, they didn't really tell us about, Oh, well, you've got all these after school things to do and, you know, all these PDs to go to and planning, how to plan, how to do this, how to do that. Like, yeah, I learned how to plan lessons in uni, but it's not how I plan now because it's just different with schools. Yeah. How do you organize? Are you like, do you write things down on a diary, a calendar? Like how do you um, keep track of what you need to do? I use a diary, but I don't know why. I just remember dates. Okay. It's really strange. I just remember dates. <laughs> So that sort of helps me. But, yeah, I've got a big A3, um, A4 A planner that the school gives us and I just quickly jot down yeah. any notes that I need. Gotcha. Yeah. And I guess I'm, I'm more of a list person as well, so I'll list all the things that I've got coming up or yeah, – Yeah, me too. Don't worry. And now – to the exciting part of the chat on instagram you're known as teach with miss t now we have mentioned that there is a huge community and it's so supportive especially online yeah but what motivated you to document your teaching journey on instagram um i think i saw quite a few teaching pages on instagram and i just thought wow this is so cool and like what a great way to what like what you just said just document my own experience so then i can go back and reflect on Me growing as a teacher, like I can even see, because when I started my job, I started during remote learning. So I've got videos like on my page of me teaching online at home. Yeah, at home on the computer. But now looking like looking at my recent posts, it's more like what I'm doing in the older grades because now I've got an older year level. But yeah, I think it was just for my own, just reflecting on my own practice, and I thought it would be a really good way to just remember and those memories that I've now shared. So I love my Instagram. (laughs) Absolutely. Did you start that as a pre-service teacher or when you started your job? I started when I, oh, good question. I think I just got my job. Yeah. Like maybe. And you were like building your resources. Yeah, I was building my resources and things like that. And then the teaching community is amazing. Like there are so many beautiful teachers on there that are just willing to help you. So if you are a teacher. You should make a teaching page. 100%. Now, just to reiterate, it's at teach.withmiss.t. Correct. And I'll link it in the show notes so you'll be able to find Sarah (laughs) as well. Um, How did you find growing your It Teacher page? Like you went from no followers. Now you've got over a 1,000 followers. Yeah. How did you build that up? I think it's just the community. Like everyone is so welcoming to the teaching community that as soon as you sort of You start commenting on someone else's teaching page. You say, oh, I really like that idea. Can you share it with me? Then they'll share you sharing their idea. And it just sort of grows like that. Like I've got some teaching friends that I've never met before, but we always have a conversation online. Oh, that's We always talk about, you know, oh, in grade one you did this or I did that last year or you should do it like this or I did it like that. It's such a great idea. My students were so engaged and you just build like that. I think yeah you just got to be yourself be confident about it and you'll make friends love it um did you ever feel any pressure or comparison online or for example you may see what another teacher gram is doing and you're comparing yourself thinking oh i haven't got those resources or i haven't done that yeah how do you manage that it's really easy to compare yourself to other teacher grams i did find myself doing that especially when i was setting up my learning space i thought oh my gosh there's all these other teachers have got all these mirrors and you know rainbows everywhere and this here and this there and I thought oh maybe I should do that because then my students will be engaged like their students are well that's not that's not right because my students and their students have come from completely different worlds i don't even know what school they're teaching at we have probably different policies and procedures and things like that and i know how my students will best learn and that's by having very simple posters on the whiteboard or very simple posters up in the wall in the um, learning space because having these bright colors and things everywhere that's not how they learn so i think comparing yourself is always something that's going to happen yeah, yeah it's going to happen but as long as you sort of know like well no this is how i'm going to teach this is i'm my own person then you sort of have to set that aside because remember people are comparing them to you as well. So yeah, that's what I sort of reflect again, reflecting, more reflecting, <laughs> more reflecting, love it, reflecting on myself as a person and what my students need. So then I'm providing my students with the best education that I think that I can give them. So there's no point me, you know, implementing something that someone else has done because it's, it's not, not going to help work. them. Absolutely. Yeah. It's different for you, different for the school, exactly. for the kids. Yeah. It's, it's not worth comparing. Yeah. Of course, exactly. we can support and follow, but not to just copy. If we yeah, think it's better. Exactly. Exactly. Now we're almost done, and I ask everyone this about the degree. So just five out of five. I'm going to give you five categories and just rate them out of five for um, your uni experience. So firstly, was the quality of the tutors, the lecturers, the academics? Is five amazing? Yes. Okay. Um, four. Cool. Yeah. Uh, workload four. So it was easy or hard? Um, A lot sorry yeah mixed okay social life of your course like making oh. friends hanging out i'm gonna say a three for me okay three and again this is all just personal experience yeah, just personal i had a cl- close group of friends but we all came from different places so it was really hard to like keep catching up all the time yep so yeah but that's what it's like at uni yeah. i guess you get people from all, all over the place exactly exactly and then what about campus facilities so think about the libraries lecture theatres classrooms yeah I'll give it a four pretty good actually nice yeah and how well your course prepared you for now as a career as a teacher um that's a good one I'm gonna say a four yep for that one Lovely. yeah and last question I ask everyone what is something that you wish you knew when you were in year 11 or year 12 can be about absolutely anything um something I wish I knew just just chill just chillax everything's gonna be okay like I think in year 12 there was so much pressure on ATAR getting into your course this and that where I am you know exhibit A like I went into a course hated it and I was able to transfer into something else like if you don't do well in year 12 I'm not saying I didn't do well because I did but you know it there's always a way to get into something that you want to do absolutely yeah well that is some lovely advice very wise words thank you Sarah yeah. now if anyone does have any more questions about teaching, about ACU, about maybe even starting their own teachergram on Instagram, they can reach out to you. So it's teach.withmiss.t and that will be in the show notes. so You will be able to find it definitely. Um, but thank you. What a great chat. Thank you. This. I loved it. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much, Mia. Bye. Bye. If you like this episode or have any more questions, head over to our Instagram at space. Now, there is a full stop between the and student. And just remember, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not provide any personal advice. Thank you for all your support, everyone. See you later.